Hello and thank you for choosing to listen to the BJJ Strength podcast. This, the original show was recorded probably about a year ago now and you know as I've gone through the, the various episodes and come back to listen to the first episode, I wanted to record a short message for you. First to say thank you for, for choosing this show but also to say that you know bear with me through the first couple of episodes. As I've gone back to listen to the original shows, there's... Um, there's a lot of stuff I would go back and redo, but you know what? The episodes are out now, and it's there for you know future generations to to listen to and cri- critique. So, uh, just to say that you know, bear with me with this first episode. The energy of the show, the quality of the show, the sound quality, all of these things, the guests that we have, the information that we provide improves dramatically over time, or at least I think it does from my own feedback and the feedback I've received. Um, from people so I'm just going to leave that message there again I'm going to say thank you for listening to the show but I wanted to 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 let you know that you know bear with me for the first couple of episodes it's a bit of a ride but I promise you the quality and the content gets much much better over time you're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast helping you be your best physically on the mats and off the mats with your host, BJJ Black Belt, and physical optimization specialist, Lawrence Griffiths. Hello, and welcome to the very first BJJ Strength podcast. My name is Lawrence Griffiths. I'm the host of this show. I'm sitting here in my home in beautiful, sunny Southern California and have decided that on top of the articles and the videos that I put out on the website on bjjstrength.com it's about time that I started to record my own podcast and for me there's so much that I think about when it comes to I call uh, physical optimization is a a term that I'm going to use a lot I think in this show and in in upcoming shows And it's an all-encapsulating term for anything that's going to make you feel your best both on the mat and off the mat. And I think the off the mat part is, is very important because as I've got older and older and now that I've got children, I realize that I can't just hammer it on the mat several times a week. Hit it hard, hit it really hard in the gym, and then feel my best when I'm around my kids. I need to have that balance. So... All of the all of the stuff that you do off the mat really affects you on the mat, and the stuff that you do on the mat affects you off the mat as well. So that balance is really important for me, and everything I try to do, there's a performance element in it, yes, but looking to keep people on the mat for as long as possible. You know, jiu-jitsu is for me, it's a long game, it's about longevity, and looking to people, looking to keep people healthy is really important. So when I say physical optimization, it could be anything: uh, strength training, power training, nutrition, mobility flexibility it could be a bit of psychology behind that as well it's it's a very broad term that hopefully i'll get into more and more over over the upcoming shows if there are upcoming shows this is the very first episode so let's see how this goes let's see how people react to it and hopefully it grows from there and what i want to talk about on today's podcast is my story my background and particularly my, uh, you know, my, my my physical journey, or as it relates to strength and conditioning, how I got to where I am today. And it's not to say that by any stretch of the imagination, I don't think this, and I don't want people to think this, that I'm, um, you know, the, the way I I train is a model for how you should train. 
I'm far from perfect and I'm learning and adjusting and adapting all the time. But let's just put it this way. The person that I was when I was a teenager and a very young young adult is not the person you would have taken strength and conditioning advice from. It's not the person that you would have gone onto a website that was, it's talking about health and wellness. I'm a very different person now to what I was then. And a friend of mine who actually inspired me to start recording this show because he's just started doing his own podcast. We were talking and there's a lot of stuff about my background that I'll get into that he didn't know, he wasn't aware of. And he said, you know, that's potentially a really good story. I think you should, he said, write it down, but I've decided to record it and talk about it. And hopefully you guys get to know me a little bit better as an individual and, you know, in, enjoy the content that I'm putting out and, 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 we, and we go from there. But before I start talking about my story, I want to talk about why I'm recording the podcast in general to accompany the stuff that we've got on the on the website. And for me, I write an article, I record a video, I put something on Instagram. There's always so much more that I want to say, but I'm very cognizant of people have got a very limited amount of time. There's only so much you can read on a website. There's only so much YouTube you can watch. There's only so much, actually very little that you can read or watch on Instagram. But I have so many more ideas that I want to get out there. And uh, the, the drive behind BJJStrength.com in the first place is to give people uh, a knowledge base and a resource that they can use to get the best out of their body, both on the mat and off the mat, that helps them when they're training jujitsu, but also tries to solve some of those problems they have that are caused from a modern lifestyle, for example, too much sitting, that then gives them problems when they're on the mat. So I think both, both are tied in together and you need you need to have balance anyway the point i was going to make is that i have all of these ideas in my head or running around my head I, i'll read a bit of research i'll speak to someone i'll, I'll work with a, a client and it's always sparking more and more ideas and i can never get all of those ideas out into an article into a video and it's not to say that all of these videos are going to be, or all of these ideas are suddenly going to are going to be the answer. But I think the big thing with jujitsu is, okay, this is changing more and more, but you haven't got the same amount of knowledge. You haven't got the same amount of research behind it as other mainstream sports. For example, American football or rugby or football or soccer, as you may call it, if you're American. And if you play in one of those sports, there's typically a tried and tested framework that you should follow to get the to get the most out of yourself physically for the best performance. But jujitsu is a lot more trial and error. So when I'm I have these ideas and I want to put these ideas out there, that's that's the journey for me and it's a journey for, you know, hopefully other people when they listen and use that information as well. I think, you know, we're nowhere near in this sport having the same level of knowledge as other sports when it comes to strength and conditioning. And this is my attempt, my effort to try and contribute and bridge that gap and put this information out there and explore some of these ideas, explore some of these ideas in a bit more depth on this show with hopefully we'll have guests in in, in the future if if this takes off and let's see where it goes. So let's get into today's episode and my story. First, I wanna talk about why I I want to tell you my story. There's two reasons. One is speaking to a training partner and a very good friend who's also a black belt. I was talk, talking about you know my background and some of the less healthy lifestyle habits that I led, and he said that's you know probably pretty interesting, maybe a good story to tell for your audience. And the other reason 
is that when I listen to podcasts or listen to, listen to people speak about their background, about their stories, and specifically about the challenges and struggles that they had to go through to get where they are today, I find it very interesting. I find it very, very informative. And sometimes, you know, the person that you see in the YouTube videos on Instagram, on the website, is not the person that they've always been. And I enjoy listening to those kind of stories. I get a lot of value from them. So I'm hoping that you get a lot of value from it and maybe, you know, learn a couple of things along the way. Um, so let's find out. Let's get into it. So my story in terms of not so much how I got into Jiu Jitsu, I want to focus more on my strength and conditioning journey or my journey in terms of physical optimization. I use the term physical optimization a lot. I see that as, as, as a catch all term around getting the best out of your body and getting the best out of your body to be good on the mats and, and, and feel good off the mats as well. That could be strength work, it could be mobility, it could be nutrition, it could be mindset. It's, it's an all encapsulating term. So if I look back to myself growing up, uh, I grew up uh, for what it's worth in a, in a small town in South Wales, a town called Port Talbot or Port Talbot, when you say it in a proper Welsh accent. And a small town of about 60, 70,000 people, uh, you know, very, for, for me, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to have grown up anywhere else. I think it was, you know, a great start for, for me in my life, but I'm kind of you know, going on a tangent there. Specifically my sporting background. I was always into sports as a kid. I did a little bit of athletics, played a lot of rugby, played cricket, did a bit of rock climbing, did a little bit of golf and was all always very active, did a lot of roller skating, um, a little bit of skateboarding. Well, I, I called it skateboarding. I could hardly pop an ollie, but I was an active kid and I was always, I, I was always drawn to those kind of things. But I don't think I was ever a standout athlete in any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I was, you know, I would make the team, but we're talking, uh, you know, at a, at a very young age. And I can even remember when I used to, I used to run the 800 meters when I did athletics. Um, I think I was about 11, 12 years old at the time. And probably my first venture into trial and error learning in terms of strength, strength and conditioning was, okay, I've got to do an 800 meter run. So I'm going to go out and run 800 meters a few times as training. And I would just run along the local river and no real thought to any kind of training plan. And when you're 11, 12 years old, then unless you've got someone specifically telling you what to do, then it's not going to be the best approach to training in the world. But that was my first venture, I think, into right, I'm, I'm performing at this sport, uh, how can I make myself better? So I think I've always had uh, an appetite for it. But to paint a picture of what you know, school sports are like in the UK versus the US, and when I say school, in the UK, school is anything uh, 18 and below. And then anything, you know, further education, we would say university rather than college. But I know in the US that uh, people refer to school as maybe college or university when you're older than 18. So I'll try to, you know, uh, clarify that as we, as we go. But specifically, I'm talking about uh, schools or 18 and younger. But this was up until about the age of 14 that I was still quite active in sports. And I, I always make the reference of, if you look at, a normal high school sporting field in the US and it's a really good example near where I live here in Southern California there there's a, a massive football it's not a stadium but a football ground football field and it's got seat in there for 
I'm gonna guess seven to eight thousand people, maybe more. And I remember as, as a kid going to watch the top level rugby players in the country. These are the people that would play for Wales. And that ground, this is, you know, back in back in the early 90s, and that ground maybe didn't have the same kind of capacity as a high school football team did or does does here today. And for for my you know school sporting experience, the you'd never have anyone watching. You'd have the coaches, and you'd have the the subs on each team, and you'd go out, and maybe there would be a burned out motorbike on the field, and that's that's not an exaggeration. There's you know it's just a big a big playing field. Uh, the running tracks that we used to have would be just white lines painted on grass. So it's a very different. Um, very different experience growing up and doing sport well it was at least in my school and I think this is quite common for probably more schools in the UK there's no there's no weight training room that you use you know you do your, you do your sports specific training but there's nothing you nothing outside that very very different system um but anyway so that's you know my my initial sporting background but then when I got to 14 ish uh, rugby was my main sport at that time I'd been playing for several years I just decided to quit. I think I got bored of it. I was a tall, lanky, skinny teenager. And if you don't know anything about rugby, it's it's very attribute-based in terms of a sport. If you're bigger, stronger, faster, you're typically gonna do a lot better. Yes, absolutely, there's a lot, a lot of skill in the sport as well. But you know, when you compare, say, rugby to jiu-jitsu, where you can rely a lot more on technique in jiu-jitsu, you still, I, I, in my personal opinion, the physical attributes of the game are far more important in rugby. So it wasn't, I don't think, at least at that time, I was naturally equipped to, to be a rugby player. Maybe that was part part of the reason, and maybe I'm just, you know, post-analyzing the situation. But anyway, I, I quit playing sports. And then I went went to, I went through a phase of from the age of 14 through to 19 and into my early 20s and let's just call it my my, my partying phase where I, I start pretty much all sport um pretty much all physical activity apart from the odd odd time of riding my bike around or you know the odd kick around of a you know, football on a field and when I say football I mean soccer ball for you Americans and when I say it was my partying phase I got into smoking cigarettes I got into smoking weed, going out clubbing, taking a lot of uh, recreational uh, drugs. Uh, you know, really got into the dance music and going to clubs till five, six o'clock in the morning. Drinking a lot of alcohol, and I used to, you know, I was even in going into school and going into my lessons high. And you know, it was uh, maybe not well. Maybe not that common, but maybe not super unique at the same time. We're not trying to paint a picture like I was living some kind of crazy lifestyle, but within my group of friends, that's what we did, and it felt normal at the time. And you know, I suppose my my reason of telling you this is that uh, I haven't always been the person that gets up and meditates for twenty minutes in the morning. I haven't always been the person that drinks kale juices every day, and someone that's really, really health conscious. Maybe the fact that I'm so health conscious now is. Just uh, you know, my subconscious telling me I need to make up for that kind of lifestyle at the time. But anyway, the result of uh, you know me, you know, partying and drinking and, and smoking. By the time I was around seventeen or eighteen, I weighed I was about six two, six foot two, so an inch or so shorter than I am now. And I 
weighed 10 and a half stone. Nobody uses stone anymore, but that's the number I always remember. And that's 147 pounds or 67 kilos. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, oh, well, that's no big deal. You get, you know, six foot two MMA fighters that fight at 155. But I was an un, very unhealthy 147 pounds. You know, skin, skin and bones. I had to run around in the shower to get wet uh, type of situation. And there's what some of the other results that, that came out of, you know, that period of my life. Uh, I, I don't feel 100% comfortable sharing all the details, but ended up having a physical altercation with my father that I provoked, that I purposely provoked. I almost got kicked out of uh, school. I want to say school, my A-levels, which are the exams you sit between 16 and 18 in the UK. And also got uh, about a year or two later, not that these didn't all happen at the same time, but over a period of about three or so years. And then the last piece was, you know, got arrested for, for assault after, you know, getting kicked out of a nightclub and fighting with someone. And again, why am I telling you this? It's, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's interesting that I haven't always come from the background of someone that's, you know, naturally athletic, a 17, 18 year old away, six foot two and weighs 10 and a half stones, 10 and a half stones, sorry. And, you know, probably couldn't do uh, 10 push-ups if their life depended on it. I doubt that I could do a pull-up to save my life at that time. That's, while well, at least in my mind, is not a naturally athletic person. I've had to, I've had to work very hard to get to the, you know, the physical shape that I'm in now. And I'm not trying to paint the picture that the way I train or, you know, my, my physical attributes and the, the, the physical elements that I have are the ideal model. I know there are people are much way better athletes out there than me, but I'm pretty happy with where I am physically. I think it serves me very, very well and Jiu Jitsu serves me very, very well in life. But I had to work very hard to, to, to get there. And when I was around, so there's a little bit of crossover between these periods. So, you know, um, I had a lot of those moments that, that happened to me, uh, particularly the altercation with, with my father and particularly the arrest, uh, being arrested for assault were real wake up moments, real wake up moments for me. Um, but during that period, I, I started playing rugby again, I think around the age of 19. And that's when I got into, got into weight training and the main goal then was I want to put on muscle I want I want I want to get a little bit stronger but mainly I wanted to bulk up and I, I remember very clearly uh, the, the, sh the shed that we have in um, my father and my mom my father and mother still have in their back garden and you know, a shed is essentially a garage with a garage door. You know, it's a concrete building with a tin tin roof that you can't get a car in. And we had this very old, very old weight bench that I don't think you could place a hundred kilos on it now and it would hold up. But we had these, I don't know, I don't even know where we got these, these, these weights from, but concrete weights covered in plastic and, you know, plastic, um, what would you call them? The pieces that you would put on the end of the bar to stop the weights falling off. Everything was, uh, you know, you do what you do, do what you can with what you've got, I suppose. And um, a lot of trial and error going into the uh, going into the shed and doing bicep curls, doing a bench press, uh, doing a shoulder press, and working things out 
as I got along, as I went along, a lot of friend, a lot of friend of a friend kind of advice. This is how you should lift. This is the food that you should kind of eat. So that was my first foray into into strength and conditioning, or probably into strength and conditioning. I think, and I need to put on a bit of muscle because now that I that I'm playing rugby, it's even very obvious to me. And it was a little bit later on that I got, you know, more predominantly into bodyweight training, or at least for the upper body. I still did a lot of squatting and a lot of deadlifting for the lower body. Um, but I think, I don't know if this was the reasoning at the time, but if I think back on it, I think this was around the time I was 18, 19, or maybe not, a little older actually. No, sorry, about in my early 20s when I'd already gone to university. And I think Fight Club was already a popular film then. And I think I'd maybe I'd seen a workout in a men's health magazine that was get a body like Brad Pitt and it was based around bodyweight exercises. So I somehow kind of joined the two together and felt a lot stronger doing bodyweight exercises, doing doing pull-ups, doing dips, as opposed to doing bench presses and, and, and bicep curls. It just it just felt better and I still did the you know lower body stuff, uh, you know, deadlifts and squats. But if I could take the knowledge that I that I had then, how that I have now in terms of sports performance and give it to me when I was in my early 20s, I think it could have made a huge difference, a massive difference in terms of you know my sporting performance, playing rugby. I did understand some of the basic concepts of you know developing explosive power, but so much of the time was I was thinking of, okay, building muscle, getting bigger. And when you start to understand training cycles, that's not something you, well, as a sports player, maybe as a bodybuilder, but not as a sports player that you could or should be doing all year round. You need to you need to cycle your training and you need to have the right periodization in place. But I didn't know that at the time. I think at my, my heaviest, I was 103 kilos, which is 225 to 230 pounds. Now I'm about 96 kilos, and which is about 210 pounds or my, my fighting weight anyway. And that, so that was a quite a big journey from being 147 pounds at 17, 18, at about the same height I am now, to you know getting up to nearly 230 pounds uh, five, five or six years later. And you know, now you know, I've maintained you know, most, most, most of that size. So I think I, it served me fairly well, I did, pretty well in, in, in rugby. I ended up being captain of my university team. But again, I want to make the comparison for, uh, between university sports in the UK and uni- university sports in the US. I remember the first time I ever came to California and it wasn't the first time I came to the US, but the first time I came to California, I was a blue belt. I traveled over to compete in the Worlds, which ended in the first fight, but that's another story. And I arrived in my hotel room, I turned on the TV and put on what must have been ESPN. And there was a women's college soft, softball game and the crowd must have been 12,000 people, maybe bigger. And I was blown away by the size of the crowd. And this is you know, not, not meant to be you know, sexist in any way, but I think it's you know common that typically male sports gets a lot more um, it's a, it gets well at least in the UK it's a bigger audience than, than, than females than female sports and I was blown away that um, you know women's college softball was getting 12,000 people 
in the stadium to watch it. It was televised on a on a major network. And then if I compare that to the top level university sports for male or female, any sport, you, you would you would never get that level, that 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 kind of crowd except for very very special one-off games. So then when I think of looking at some of the college football where you get I think there are some stadiums that are have about a hundred thousand people going to watch games and you know the the amount of support those players get in terms of their training, their strength and conditioning, the nutrition, whatever the case may be. When when I played rugby and we we weren't a top tier a top tier side, but even the top tier sides wouldn't would have nowhere near those crowds. It would be on a on a sports field and maybe you'd have a couple of hundred people watching. But the team I was playing for, we would have maybe one man and his dog watch the game for five minutes, he would stop because he happened to be out on the on a Wednesday afternoon. He'd watch the game but then he'd bagger off after five or ten minutes. Well that's you know, that's a sporting experience for most universities in the UK. So you you'd have a little bit of advice maybe in terms of strength and conditioning, but again most of it was just worked out on your own and you'd work amongst each other within 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 the group um, and, and find find the best path forward so that I think there's a real pattern here of a lot of a lot of trial and error of what's the best way to train what's the best way to get fit what's the best way to get strong to, to, to get powerful and even even at that point when I was playing rugby there was still still a lot of, of binge drinking in in the UK but the binge drinking is is big in the UK and there's a, a very different culture towards drinking alcohol in the UK compared to the US and I speak to you know my friends here now in the US and then they get and then they get amazed by by some of the stories and to give you one example you've got uh, where was I going but yeah the point I was going to make is that on several occasions we did this actually dozens of occasions between me and one of the person we would get one litre of vodka so I'm not talking a 70cl bottle that you normally see on the shelves I mean like you know a um, 100cl so a full litre and you you'd share that between you and one other person with some cheap knockoff Red Bull before going on a night out and that's a, that was a very regular occurrence so it's not like I went to university started playing rugby and then suddenly you know you got, got very very healthy um there was uh, you know partly that's university or, or college whatever you want to call it and yeah it was fun at the time but probably did some long-term damage that maybe I'm still trying to make up for I don't know but even even when playing sport in university I just didn't have the same kind of knowledge about how to bet uh, the, the best kind of eating that you should um, the, the best kind of eating that you should bring on board to best optimize your physical performance and best optimize your health it was very much in terms of the macronutrient macronutrients carbohydrates protein and fat and trying to get you know as much food in you as possible to to build muscle to get bigger to bulk up whatever you want to call it um i i didn't know what paleo was at that time you're a student um so more student diets are not great maybe that was a little bit better but it was the start of the journey in terms of, okay, I need to tie my nutrition to my performance and start learning about, you know, how to cook and how to prepare my meals to get the most out of my body. And a lot of it was misguided, but at least it was a start in that journey. So 
So if we go a little bit further forward into when I actually started Jiu Jitsu, then it was natural for me when I first started Jiu Jitsu and this was, I was living in London at the time I'd moved away from, from university and it was very, very natural for me to, I need to train off the mats to be good on the mats. Um, now that I didn't have the best application for that training and there was, again, it's still, it still maybe had that same mindset that we had playing rugby in the UK. You'd speak, you'd speak to a friend, you'd speak to someone that you know, you'd speak to your coach and you'd swap knowledge and ideas of how to, how to best strength train. But I didn't have access to the same kind of knowledge that I do now and I wish that I, I wish that I did and I would, you know, would have maybe changed my approach, you know, much earlier because I think rugby as a sport is, is very, I think of it as very linear. You go straight forward or you go straight uh, to the left or straight to the right. It's very, very, um, one directional in terms of, in terms of your movements. Yes, you're, you, you're doing side steps, you're going from side to side, but not compared to the way that you train Jiu Jitsu. And I think of Jiu Jitsu is very uh, angular, maybe is, or angular, you can't, I can't understand that. It's maybe not the best way to explain it, but, you're trying to, you know, you're twisting and you're turning and you're cutting angles and you're moving in a completely different way. And I don't think I quite grasped that at the start and it took me several years to grasp that, that you can apply some of the, some of the strength and conditioning knowledge or physical optimization knowledge from other sports and apply it to jujitsu. But you've also got to look at jujitsu as a very unique sport in terms of the way that the body, your body moves. And I remember the, the very first time that I I, I, I think it was the first time that I experienced overtraining. At the time, I was doing a three times a week, very, very intense uh, bodyweight strength training routine and then doing jujitsu three times a week. And I was still a white belt, so I, I don't know about other people listening, but it felt like I was drowning every single session and I was just fighting, uh, fighting sharks off pretty much. And I can remember uh, leaving training one Saturday afternoon and the, the the school the school still is in this place in London. It's not far from the River Thames, um, and I, you know, I decided just to take a walk to to recover after training. And there's a, a big patch of grass actually really near the Houses of Parliament, um, by you know, right next to the London Eye. If you know if you've been there, you know what that looks like. And it's a Saturday afternoon. So it's one of the busiest parts of the country on a Saturday afternoon. Right, there's tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that walk up and down that that stretch of river on a um on a saturday afternoon and i just lay down on this on this patch of grass and i was just just exhausted i put my backpack behind my head and just had to had to stop i couldn't move i felt so overwhelmed with the aches and the pains in my body it felt like i had flu and i closed my eyes and woke up about 30 or 45 minutes later i literally just passed out i was i was that exhausted from from overtraining and for uh, i suppose the the point of uh, me telling you this is that I've I've made the same mistakes that I still see people making on on the mat in terms of how you balance your jiu-jitsu training with your strength and conditioning and how you balance it with what you've got to do when you're off the mat as well and I've uh, I've made those mistakes several times and I uh, continue to make those mistakes but I want to you know I want to make sure that people learn from those mistakes so they can get the most out of their training 
and it was really when I got into jujitsu that I, I, I'm more focused on educating myself in terms of strength and conditioning, uh, reading a lot of books, reading magazines, reading articles. I've always been very big in terms of reading research. I think, you know, my, my degrees are in psychology. So that, um, it's a very data, um, a very data area, data orientated science. So very big on the research and, and, and reading studies. So it seemed natural for me to go towards, uh, you know, strength and conditioning research when I was educating myself. And I ended up, uh, you know, at, at some point I wrote a book called Minimum Time, Maximum Input, uh, Maximum Impact, which is a high intensity uh, training, uh, high intensity interval training uh, book that is still available on Amazon if you want to go and buy that. But even then, I think if I look at that book now and some of the stuff that I was talking about came out of all the trial and error and all of the approaches that I would use to how do I prepare for a competition? How do I um, get in the best possible shape, shape for competition? And the approach that I took then that I've talked about in that book is probably not the same approach that I would take today. Actually, it's not the same approach that I take today and it's not the same approach that I would, I would, I would teach people. And then ultimately that grew into a site called effectivehealthandfitness.com which then ultimately grew into bjjstrength.com I, I wanted to be too broad in terms of helping people with health and fitness it was something that I was really really passionate about but um, I think maybe I'm going on a tangent here but anyway uh, I, then I, I decided when I started bjjstrength.com that's when I actually did the NSCA uh, Certified Strength and Conditioning Spe Specialist qualification and the learning hasn't ended there. That was you know, three years ago, maybe a little, not three or four years ago now. The learning hasn't ended there, and I'm now considering doing a master's. And I know the learning is not going to stop there. It's still trial and error. I don't think we, as people that practice jujitsu, have enough knowledge, have enough research, have enough good resource and information that we can take and take confidently that this is going to be the best way to train and I think I talked about this at the start of the podcast where what I'm trying to do with uh, BJJ, bjjstrength.com in general and with this podcast is try to bridge that gap uh, try and give pe try to give people the right knowledge that they can confidently use to get the best out of themselves on and off the mat um, and that's kind of a not intentionally, but kind of rolled into my next point and, you know, coming towards the end of, end of this podcast now. I think what I want to give people is point out the mistakes that I've made, point out the mistakes that I still see people making now. I don't think that just because it's 10 years later, suddenly we've all, all got this. We've all got this knowledge and we all train better and we train smarter. I've seen some very recent examples in the last month where to, really great competitors that I train with and these guys kick my ass on a, on a on a regular a regular occasion and they're you know the way they were lifting weights two weeks before the world's two weeks before the biggest competition in the year you know pretty much put them off the mat for several days so I still see mistakes that the people are making and I think we you know we can collectively build up a resource of information to help people train smarter I want people to learn from the mistakes that I've made and pe from people to, to learn from the mistakes that I still I still see people make and I want to help you you know join the dots and I listened to uh, another podcast some business podcast earlier actually it's called join the dots and they played uh, a clip of Steve Jobs 
talking about you know when you when you first go forward you don't know that everything is going to come together but when you look back in 10 15 years time with hindsight it's very easy to join the dots and i think that's where they got the name of the podcast uh, from and for me that you know kind of summarized you know quite succinctly what it is that i want to to do with with this podcast is to help you join the dots help you you know help you you know fast track some of the mistakes that you're inevitably going to make and get to a point where you know you've got good information you've got good uh, training routines and, and you're getting the best out of yourself both on on and off the mat and you know i i've i've i've, I've been been through it all in in terms of you know we talked about me getting from being 147 pounds to up to 230 pounds at one point and i've talked about the overtraining examples but i've also gone you know, through years of fixing really bad mobility caused by doing deadlifts and squats, lifting heavy, but then not doing the right mobility afterwards. Um, years of sitting in a chair, whether it's driving, studying, or working, sitting at a desk, and that kind of lifestyle that, that really has really you know done a number on my spine I still work really heavily on the thoracic spine region and really heavily on my hip mobility and hamstring mobility and I still work really well on getting in I work a lot in terms of getting into a, a deep squat so I've gone through all those things I've gone through training the beach muscles or just focusing on the big muscles and then not realizing that all of the all of the smaller supporting muscles that sit underneath the big muscles that really help your body function not realizing that you need to pay attention to those two until it becomes a problem until something pops until something tweaks until you start to feel sore so you know I, i've i'm not saying i've been there and done that and, and done everything but i think i've got a few things that i can i can help people out with and that's what i want to do with this show and what i want to do is wrap up with a quote that it just happened to, to read um, this morning when I knew I was going to record this podcast, and it seems to sum up, you know, I think not just not just jujitsu, um, not just life, but not just strength and conditioning, but you know, set several whatever your endeavor is, you know, you always still need you still need to keep looking. It's, it's a journey. You still need to question everything and still ask yourself the right questions to try and push yourself to the next level and it's a quote by Albert Einstein and I'm probably going to butcher it but I think it will be a nice quote to wrap up with and let's see how this goes the important thing is not to stop questioning curiosity has its own reason for existing one cannot help but be in awe when he contemplates the mysteries of eternity of life of the marvelous structure of reality it is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little of this mystery every day. Never lose a holy curiosity. Thank you for listening, guys, and look out for the next show.